Welcome to Cosmic Dragon. This is Sean Grigsby. I'm trying to uh, go low on the octave when I say cosmic because it seems like the last few times I've been going cosmic. And it sounds like if you ever watched Nickelodeon back in the 90s, the announcer guy would always tell the kids, hey, guess what? Rocco's modern life is next. It, like it was a secret or something. It was in the TV guide. Anyway, welcome to Cosmic Dragon. If you're not familiar with this podcast already, let me introduce you to what we're all about. We talk to authors, agents, editors, and the like, all in the realm of science fiction, fantasy, horror, you know, speculative fiction, the cool stuff. And uh, today we're talking to Tora Moon. Before we get into that, I do want to let you know that I write books as well. I'm a traditionally published author. I have books with Angry Robot Books. They are Smoke Eaters. Daughters of Forgotten Light, and the upcoming Ash Kickers. So be sure to check that out. You can get it anywhere books are sold. That means in stores, online. I'm sure even a stork could fly by and drop one off for you. But enough about me. Let's jump into our interview with Tora Moon. We're here with Tora Moon, and this is Cosmic Dragon episode 35. Tora, thanks for coming on. I'm happy to be here. This is so exciting. Well, thank you. And you're, you're coming straight out of Utah at the moment, right? Yes, I live in the beautiful area of southern Utah by Zions National Park and Cedar Breaks and Bryce Canyon. So we have lots of national parks and great views to visit if you want to come by. Is it nice and warm there right now? Um, it's starting to get warm. We've had a cold winter. We actually had some snow this winter, which is very unusual. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like, it's 63 right now here in Arkansas, but it's been like in the 30s the last two days, and it was, it was nice, and before that, it's, uh, I know they say this in different parts of the country, but in Arkansas, it's very true, where if you don't like the weather, just stay for a second and it'll change it's, it's ridiculous it's crazy uh and i thought Utah a, is like that too oh really yeah we can have all four seasons in one day oh uh, see i i wonder like it, how different is utah from say arizona the area that i live in is very close to like sedona if you've been to sedona and you've seen the red rocks there we have the red rocks um if you go to northern Utah, then you're looking at Colorado. Oh, okay. But I'm only about less than 100 miles from Arizona. Oh, so Arizona it's pretty, border. pretty close to Arizona then. Yeah. In fact, to get to Las Vegas, you have to drive through a little corner of Arizona. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I've never... the the I went to uh, Worldcon in California, and obviously I've been to Seattle and... Uh, but other than that, I've never been around Arizona, Utah, any of that stuff. I want to eventually, you know, check it off the bucket list. But maybe yeah. I'll check it out. Well, uh, if you like outdoors, it's a great place to come. Awesome. And I like hiking and stuff, too. I don't like oh, yeah. dealing with snakes, which in Arkansas, you know, you kind of have to deal with snakes. But I don't know. Just don't come in July and August to this area unless you really like a lot of heat. Oh, I love heat. I hate the cold. I well, this is like 120 gold. degrees heat. I'm cool with it. I'm a firefighter. I, I can deal with it. <laughs> Bring it on. I absolutely, I fought fires in like 13 degree weather and that is so miserable. 
I hate oh, it. Oh, I can believe it. We were ice skating around the front, slipping and falling. And then like, because, you know, we're dumping a bunch of water on this, we're creating a huge swamp around the structure. So I'm sitting here with water in my boots and I'm freezing. And having, oh, man. It's ridiculous. It's, uh, but it was fun at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. I fought a fire the other night and came home yesterday and at eight and slept till like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I didn't <laughs> feel bad about it because I was, uh, I'm still worn out. But anyway, uh, so you are self-published, correct? Yes. And I call myself an indie publisher because I do everything that a publishing company would do. I get professional covers. I get professional editing. I do my marketing. Um, so I try and do it as high quality as I am capable of doing. Can, well, what uh, inspired you to take that path? Uh, ha- had you tried traditional publishing or has it always been indie for you? Um, once upon a time, I did send out short stories because at the time it was, you have to write short stories and get published in like... Oh yeah, I tried to follow that bullshit advice yeah, as well. That, yeah, that bullshit, <laughs> yeah. And I kept getting rejections, and I'm not the type that likes rege- rejections and can take them well. Right. And it just like totally shut down my writing. I didn't write for a long time after that. Just a little bit here and there, and I've kept writing with websites and with my... As a CPA, I used to write financial statements, so those are really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I say that I've been published for a long time because they were published with the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kept going with writing, and then I finally quit doing accounting and left Southern California. I stayed lived in Southern California in Orange County area for like 25 years and just wanted to focus on my writing. And then I heard about the NaNoWriMo, which is the national writing novel writing month. Right. And it's like, Oh, this is the kick in the pants that I need to finally get the story finished. And the story I worked on was ancient enemies, which is the first book of the series of legends of Lerheim. Okay. I'm looking at that cover right now. Yeah. So, so did you finish the whole thing in that month, or did you get it? Um, I got the fifty. I got the fifty thousand done, and then I had to finish it because this one's about ninety-seven thousand words. Right. So it took a little bit of time to finish it, and you know, do the rewriting, and get an editor, and then do the rewriting from that. So you you do the whole thing like so you get you have an editor you use. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm assuming you have a cover artist that you go through and yes, pay and, and I don't want to share their names because they get they're super busy now. I got you, <laughs> <laughs> and you don't want to flood them with with requests. That's fair enough. Well, they did an awesome yeah, you job. You go to their website and they say that they're booked to August oh, or wow. September now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, that's and good for really them. Good. They're making that making that cash. Yeah. And uh, one one thing I always talk to uh, self published authors on the up on the podcast is uh, how you know self published or indie books had always had this stigma of having the shittiest covers, but that has completely changed. 
Um, Completely changed. And I don't know if it's because there was such a, everybody took it more seriously or people came in and were like, no, we we don't want to be a part of the (laughs) stereotype that self-published in (laughs) indie is like, crap covers and crap content uh we're gonna do it the right way and uh i i salute you uh all for for doing that and taking it seriously you know going through the editor getting a cover artist you know treating it like a business uh i could never do that <laughs> i need i need the publisher to handle all that mess but that that's uh that seriously like hats off to you guys because it takes a lot it takes a lot to be an indie publisher well thank you and i even have a publishing company that i set up and I'm taking this very seriously. I take the classes. Um, I've done the self-publishing formula courses with Mark Dawson, who's fabulous. Um, do, going to the 20 books to 50K um, conference in November. Mm-hmm. Yay, I snack tickets. Um, and I go to other writers' conferences to constantly keep up to date with the publishing industry as well as strive to make my craft even better. Right. Constantly learning, constantly growing. I can't, I can't stay, which thankfully I never really meet these uh, mythical people, but I hear about people (laughs) who say like, I'm set. I know exactly what I'm doing and I don't need to learn anymore. I don't really think those people exist. Uh, I don't think they do either. At least I hope not because you know, they say mastery of any subject or, or craft takes 10,000 hours. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it might be even more than that. Well, that's, shoot, that's a lot of books. That's a lot of words. Uh, and I that's probably a, will yeah. die before I get there. So it's constantly <laughs> a, 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 a trying to get better and grow and change and, and evolve, as they say. Now, you write fantasy. Yes. What, has that always been... Uh, your calling to write or had you experimented with other genres and what is it about fantasy that you like? I love to read fantasy and sci-fi. That's pretty much all I read for fiction. And so to write it, it's a natural outgrowth because I write what I want to read and I write stories that I want to read. And I love it when I'm like, rewriting and and editing and it happened just the other day it was like wow this is a really good scene this is a really good story so i hope other people who are reading it feel the same way because i'm writing for me which is my target audience right Um, and i just like i just like the things that you can tackle in fantasy and sci-fi that you can if you're writing contemporary. Exactly. But you can also yeah. talk about modern issues with, if you wanted to within uh, fantasy, if you if you really wanted to. That's what I try to tell people, you know. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> I don't know. There's this, especially in more literary circles, I guess, some people look down upon science fiction and fantasy and it gets on my nerves thanks thankfully i've never met these people but i've heard horrible stories about uh people who even write mysteries uh meeting a a famous literary author and the literary author says oh what do you write and they say oh i write mysteries and the guy turns their back on them and just stops talking to them right then and there and it's just like what how snobbish do you have to be 
yeah, I don't get it either. I, fortunately, I haven't experienced that myself, but I hear and see posts on Facebook and the, and the various author groups that I'm in. And for indie authors, that happens with traditionally published authors. Oh, you're an indie author, therefore your stuff must suck because you didn't get go through that gatekeeper of a publishing house. Yeah, I disagree with that <laughs> mentality too. I mean, yeah. you can look at a lot of uh, previously self-published books that have been picked up by traditional published books and and talking myself talking to these authors, not much had changed between the time they were self-published and the time they were traditionally published. It there was no magical yeah. like wave of the wand between phases that transformed it and obviously they were interested in it so that yeah i don't like that you know mentality no. either that's kind of uh like for me i, I like traditional publishing that's what i want to do but like i'm not going to shit on other people <laughs> if they want to do something different what do i care you know yeah what? and i like self-publishing because i'm a control freak yeah so i have control over everything so if the cover doesn't look good and it doesn't fit the genre it's on me. Right. But I think I have excellent covers. My cover designers did a great job. Well, you know, one thing I look forward to when I eventually uh, become a full-time writer mm -hmm. is being my own boss. Uh, and, well, hell, with the, being an indie author, you, you really are your own boss in every single way. And, like, the only person you could get pissed off with, I'm assuming, is yourself. So, yep. Yeah, that's both scary and liberating at the same time. Yeah, it is, because if you fail, it's all you. If you succeed, on the other hand, it's all you, and you can celebrate. Exactly. Now, let me yeah. ask you, because uh, a friend um, and someone I consider a mentor told me, uh, if you wanted to learn how to market your books, ask a successful indie author, because <laughs> they have to be really good at marketing uh, to be successful. So... I guess what I want to ask you is what is your approach to marketing and what have you found works and doesn't work? Um, I'm still figuring that out, but I'm learning from some of the best. Um, Mark Dawson has a course called ads for authors mm -hmm. and it used to be just Facebook ads. And now he covers the gambit from Amazon ads, book club ads, um, Instagram ads, uh, he used to have one for YouTube, but YouTube's got too expensive. And so I'm learning from him and taking his course because he's successful. Last year, he made over a million dollars from just Amazon. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's an indie author. Um, I'm learning from like Craig Martell and Michael Anderley of 20 Books to 50K. They're both very successful. So I'm looking at what other indie authors are doing. And most of what works is the Amazon ads and the Facebook ads. So the Facebook ads do work? Yeah, they do. You just have to do the right targeting. And that's what I'm still testing and figuring out what the right targeting for my books are. Right. Yeah. And it's nice with Amazon ads. They're not as expensive and you can play with them a little bit more and it gives you a good feedback on whether your book description's working, whether your covers are working, your titles are working because you'll get the clicks and you'll get the buys. And if you're getting too many clicks and no buys, then you know something's wrong with it. 
that you have to fiddle with it and make it make it better and hopefully get more clicks and more buys. Catch more attention. <laughs> yeah, because every time I'm on yeah. Facebook, because I have a, a Facebook author page, which I don't know uh, how successful <laughs> that endeavor is. <laughs> I just decided, well, I'll just have it, you know, if people want to. Uh, yeah. And I have my personal one, uh, but I'm pretty much an open book until I run into some really creepy people, which I hope I never do. Like, you know, I mainly <laughs> just use my personal one. Well, the the Facebook ad or the author page, uh, they're all like, hey, we'll give you $30 credit if you buy an ad. I'm like, you're giving me $30. So how much is this damn ad? Like $500? It could be expensive yeah. if you don't have your targeting right. But if you do... It can be very beneficial, not only for selling your books, for build, but also for building your mailing list. Right. Which is something I, I slack on all the time. Because I don't know what the hell to send these people on my newsletter. It's like, I've got books out. <laughs> Have you bought it? Have you read it? Well, that's about it. <laughs> Here's some short stories. I I've send written. a weekly newsletter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Some of it's just, hey, you know... I listen to podcasts now because I've been driving back and forth to Southern California okay. from mm-hmm. Southern Utah because my daughter lives in Southern Utah, uh, California mm-hmm. and just had a baby. So I've been going and doing the grandma stuff. Right. Uh, and for the thing, I, for the travel, it's like I'm starting to listen to podcasts. Yours was one of them. Okay, cool. Um, and so I just shared with my newsletter, hey, I'm doing all this driving and I've Found podcasts. What are the podcasts that you like? Um, oh, that's a good idea. It's more interactive. Yeah. I Shoot, I might be better at that than just sending <laughs> out like, hey, here's the cover of my new book, you know. Yeah, you do that, but you also want to have, start building a relationship with your readers and your newspaper newsletter subscribers yeah because they'll be their best ones to say hey i've got a new release it's out they'll go out and buy it because you're they're now consider you a friend that's very true and that's that's something i've tried to uh keep uh from the Mm get-go is being very i mean i don't know if transparent's the right word but just being open and like communicative you know if someone tweets me on on twitter saying, hey, I loved your book, like, I'm going to say, oh, thank you, and I'm going to retweet their stuff, you know, Um, because I've had experiences, especially when I was uh, not even published yet, where I'd say Mm -hmm. something to an author, and they just, like, completely ignore me, and, you know, I know people are busy and stuff, and you don't know me from Adam, but at the same time, it's like, come on, you at least like the tweet or something, you know, (laughs) don't act like, I I, I never want to be that person, I guess is what I'm saying, is that I, I do want to acknowledge people like because i really do i appreciate every single one of my readers and i do not take Mm -hmm. them for granted and i do want to you know readers like that kind of thing especially with today's day and age you know back in the day you'd write a letter and look the stamp and all that stuff but now it's instant and as long as you're respectful and cool and not being a douche like hey yeah let's talk whatever i've I've had awesome and, and people like when you do that like you were saying they'll buy whatever you put out yeah, because they're now fans. Right. It's You're not some nameless author anymore, and I think that's one of the great things about doing a newsletter and having a Facebook page that you're active on is your readers get to know you as a person just rather than this name on the book. Right. 
Yeah, and we have to remember as authors, we are celebrities in a lot of people in readers' minds. That's true, and it's kind <laughs> of scary, but it's also kind of fun at the same time. Definitely. And they want to hear from us. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about marketing a little bit. Let's let's mm-hmm. talk about your books. Uh, you were telling me about the Legends of Lerheim. Yes. What 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 can you tell us about what this series entails? Okay, it's a completed series. So if you buy book one, you can read it, read the complete story arc. So you're not going to be left hanging. Um, but it's set on the world of Lerheim. So it's a secondary world story. These people are not necessarily human, but they are humanoid. Okay. The women, okay. Um, the magic works on this world. And the women do elemental magic. And the type of magic that they can do is determined by their hair and eye color. Ah. So if they have red hair, they can do fire magic. Um, yellow would be air, blue would be water, um, brown would be an earth type, which would they could do either animal magic or plant magic or healing or stone magic with the brown. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. There are no blacks because blacks are extinct now, and a black would be able to do every, all of the types of magic. Oh, okay. Um, whites are the priestesses, and only women are whites, and they're the ones who work with the soul magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the men, because after their great war, these monsters appeared that are really hard to kill, and they're very voracious, and if they're left alone, they can decimate an area within an eight-day or a chaydon, which I call a chaydon, because they do everything in, they have three moons, eight days in a week, eight months in a year. So I've really thought about how their world would work. Um, and these monsters appeared, and the men exchanged their elemental magic for the magic of shape-shifting. And oh, so wow. they, yeah, so they shift into a wolf-human hybrid that I describe it as a perfect male between wolf and human. And yeah, when I was looking at, yeah, not, not an ugly werewolf, but more, I was thinking of the statues of like Anubis, the Egyptian god. Right, Egyptian god of the dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's that very, you know, they meld really perfect. They're not, you know, gross or anything like that. That's how I see these shape-shifting. I got you. I'm just thinking because yeah. I love werewolves. Um, yeah. And, and I, I <laughs> one, and I don't care what what people write, obviously, but my, I think the true werewolf, and I like your version. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. uh, but I, my, I love the anthropomorphic type of werewolf, like the one that can like stand up, and it's basically like, you know, a human, but just uh-huh. with like a wolf head, you know, claws and stuff. This whole like, well, I could turn into a big wolf thing. I don't know. That's, that's cool if you want to do that, <laughs> but that's just not my. That's not my werewolf. I like I like the you know that kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted to talk about werewolves. That's fun. Um, Mine can also shift to a wolf, but they use their warrior form, which is the meld, 
to fight the monsters. And when they shift, they gain bulk, they gain height. Their claws are like six inches long so that they can, you know, get into the tough hides of the monsters. Right. And their claws also secrete a poison that affects the monsters. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty formidable. (laughs) They inject poison into them too. Okay. But uh, so how how gnarly are these monsters? I mean, is it the sheer amount uh, of them, like a huge horde of these monsters or, uh, but also like how tough are they? They're very tough. Um, There's two types and they're a symbiotic. um, They have a symbiotic relationship. They always appear together. And the, the leaders are called, I call them Janix. And they're great, big, huge. They stand like 15 to 20 feet tall, have 10 tentacles, and their maws are big enough that they can eat a horse whole. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, they need, they have, the people have to have good weapons in order to fight them. And the breaches are smaller. They run on four feet. They have spines like porcupines that they can eject and shoot at their prey. They don't have any eyes. They sense through their ears. Um, the Janics have heat stalks. That that's how they trap their prey is through the heat. And the women only in the beginning of the books only women who have fire magic are fighters because they can surround the nests with fire and they found a way to create a dome of fire around them because fire is one thing that the monsters don't like and that will kill them. And then they use a weapon called a Hellbrot, which is basically a um, Hellbird. Yeah. Or a nag- yeah. I was thinking more of a naginata, which is the Japanese um, staff with the blade on the end. Yeah. yeah. And then the blade is made out of a special alloy, which allows them to feed their magic into it. Nice. Yeah. And part of the journey through the story is Roselia, who is my main character, character of finding out that to destroy the new monster, there's a new monster that appears in the very first book. That's the inciting incident, which is harder to kill. And it is watching them. And she's the one of the only ones that can hear it. And she starts seeing these visions of somebody controlling the monsters. Ah. Yeah. And so part of her journey is figuring out how, who's behind it and how to kill them. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Well, Tor, we're going to wrap things up. So tell us uh, in our listeners where they can find you. I know toramoon.com is uh, your website. Where can people get your books? Um, I'm available. My books are available everywhere. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple, Kobo, a few others smaller ones so you can find me anywhere awesome, awesome. and again that's toramoon.com t-o-r-a and m-o-o-o-n just like the moon in the night sky yes is that your real name 
it's a chosen name. Awesome. It's okay. the, my <laughs> nobody except for my family knows my given name. Hey, that's cool though. Um, and Tora is Japanese for tiger. See, and I lived in Japan, and I didn't even know that. <laughs> I took Japanese karate for a long time, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why my fight scenes are really good. Is because I did get my black belt at one point. You know, though, th- yeah, some of the uh, best fight scenes are written by people who actually have experience, uh, mm-hmm. especially in whatever they're writing about, uh, as far as fight stuff. I have yeah. I have no idea why I'm good at fight scenes. <laughs> I fight fire, <laughs> but that's in different. There and imagining it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, because <laughs> when you actually like know what you're talking about, you know, it it does set it it takes it to a new level. So yeah. Okay. Well, hey, Tora, thanks so much for coming on Cosmic Dragon. You're more than welcome to come Thank back, you. and we hope uh, everybody goes out and checks out the Legends of Lairheim. And the first book in that series is called Ancient Enemies. And that's there's five books in there in that series, correct? Yeah. And they're all available right now everywhere. Yes. All right. Thanks and again. And I had a Go blast ahead. talking with you. I appreciate you t- taking the time to talk to with me. And thank you. Hey, very welcome. Hey.